Well, thank you, Portview Church. Happy Memorial Day Sunday. I hope that you are enjoying yourself on this fine day. And I have to say, it is a pleasure to be able to speak to you this morning. And as we are taking this opportunity to just record this and go through this, I was struck that today, uh, it marks 10 years since I've been able to be a part of this Portview family and serve uh, during that entire time. And so thank you, Portview family, for welcoming me and working with me and, and just allowing me to serve you in this way. And it is a, a privilege. And during this crazy time of safer at home and, and the COVID quarantine, there are a lot of different dynamics that are going on. And some of us have found more time to tackle those projects that we could never quite get to, right? Some of us have had that honey-do list that was however long, and many of us are getting that to it's a honey-done list. Um, so that's a good thing. The long list of projects has perhaps become a much shorter list, which is nice, although the list probably never goes away, right? So the room that you've been wanting to paint for a while finally got done, and for some of you, you perhaps during this time have gone through and painted every room in the house twice. Um, who knows? Or maybe you finally had time to tinker with that strange noise that the washing machine has been making. Maybe you took time to learn a new skill during this time, whatever that might be. Maybe you wanted to learn a language or learn some new computer skills or whatever. But some of us, we've finally had time to finish those projects that were mostly done, but not 100%. You know those projects that we had gotten fixed and functional and things were working fine, but we said, ah, the aesthetics, that can go for a while. We don't have to worry about that right now. Like you replaced the vanity in your bathroom. And the new vanity was a couple inches shorter, so you had this line that just kind of went across, and you're like, eh, we'll get to that some other time. Everything's working, the sink is running, the faucets are, are running, but that cosmetic touch-up, eh, can wait a while. And maybe it's been five years or however long. And your spouse maybe has been mentioning nicely, right, that every month we should take care of that. Sometimes these partially done projects are pretty small, Right? For me, we had a crack that had developed between our kitchen ceiling and the soffit. And there's just this crack that had formed, and we just kind of took care of it, and uh, we needed to repair the crack. You know, we balanced it all out. We got the, we needed to take care of that crack, repaint that area, get it all done. It shouldn't be a huge job, right? But it's just one of those that didn't get done. And Amy, every few weeks, nicely, and I do mean nicely, mentions, we should take care of that. That's something we got to do. So just this past week, I finally took the opportunity to do that. I patched up the crack, I sanded it, I repainted it, and now it looks nice. It's good to go. May not even know that it was ever there to begin with. And while the project is complete now, it took some time to get there. While the project was in that unfinished state, Amy was very nice about it. She didn't express any bitterness or resentment at all, only kind reminders, you know, we should try to get that done. However, when any one of us has those situations where projects or tasks are unfinished, you and I can find that we respond in a whole host of ways, right? Some of us will respond and find that we have anxiety that just grows with every passing moment, every passing day that is unfinished. Others just take it in stride and, well, we'll get to it when we get to it. And others may just become bitter, towards the one who's supposed to take care of that, to get it done. And, and perhaps that tension or that, that friction develops. 
because of that. Now, while I've been talking about things that we do and how we may respond to things unfinished, I believe that we can also have similar reactions to situations and things that we feel that God has not finished or perhaps not even responded to yet. So, if you have your Bible handy, and I hope you do, uh, whether it's the Bible app or on, uh, in a hard copy version, I want you to take it and I want you to go to Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at a story here in Mark eight twenty two, and it's an encounter that Jesus has with a man in need. And I believe that as we look at this encounter, we can gain some perspective for those times that we are waiting for God to respond or even to finish a work in our lives. So Mark 8, 22, uh, we're going to read through verse 26, and it says this, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this story very curious within the gospel narrative. Tucked in these five verses we find a story which is unique only to Mark's gospel. You will not be able to find the story of Jesus and this blind man in Bethsaida in Matthew, Luke, or John. And it is the only story where it takes Jesus two steps to complete a healing process or to complete a miracle. So as I read it, I wonder, why in the world would we have this story of a blind man where it takes Jesus a second step to bring about a complete healing? I mean, surely Jesus has the power to heal him in one fell swoop, right? Well, let's dive into the story a little deeper. The first thing that we see is that some people who are unnamed brought a blind man to Jesus and begged that he would touch him. Now, that alone is not an unusual thing. Throughout the Gospels, we can see people bringing their loved ones and their friends in need to Jesus, hoping that he would heal or deliver them, whatever that miracle that needed to take place. They would come on their behalf and, and, and do that. But notice that the people who brought the blind man appear to be really the only ones begging for Jesus to do a miracle. Although he doesn't seem to be fighting it, we get no indication that the blind man was making the request to be healed. Often in the gospel records of Jesus healing people, the one who needed to be healed was taking action, or they were calling out to Jesus, or they were seeking him out. But here, we don't see that. Perhaps this man just had resigned himself, I'm going to be blind. This is the normal course of events. I'm just going to be blind for the rest of my life. And that no one was going to be able to reverse this. So on his behalf, his friends take it upon themselves to get him before Jesus and beg for a healing. So in response to their request, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And then he spits on his eyes and lays his hands on the man. Now, in that section of it, we see that Jesus makes a very personal connection with the blind man. I mean, if Jesus spits on my eyes, I think we have a unique bond happening here, right? But Jesus grabs him by the hand, leads him away from the crowd. He begins to interact with this man in a very personal, one-on-one level. He takes him and he says, 
I'm going to focus just on you, away from the crowd, away from the distractions, and I want to minister to this man. Jesus knows how this man is doing, right? Like he can perceive this man is just not sure. He's kind of feeling whatever about all of it. And he can perceive that this man's level of faith, perhaps even his hope of being healed, is totally non-existent. So he starts to deal with him in a very personal way. And when they are alone, he spits on the man's eyes and he lays his hands on him. Now, if I were the blind man, and if Jesus, or anyone else for that matter, spits on my eyes, I can tell you this, that will get my attention. I would perk up, my adrenaline is probably going to start racing, like what in the world is going on? And whether I had had any hope of being touched or healed before this, I would now be thinking, what is coming next? I mean, I can't see anything. I have no idea what's coming. Jesus, you just spat in my eyes. What are you going to do next? Plus, Jesus has now laid his hands on the blind man. You know, kind of that probably firm but, but friendly and gentle laying on of hands. Making it a more demonstrative thing that he wants to minister to him. And the man asks, or Jesus asks the man a question. Do you see anything? After getting the man's attention by spitting on him, putting his hands on him, and asking this question, I imagine Jesus kind of removes his hands from the man, takes a step back, and asks the man what he sees. I can see this blind man considering that for a moment, and he replies that he sees people, but they look like walking trees. Now, think about what has just happened here. Just moments before, this man was completely blind. Like he saw nothing. Now, after Jesus spits on him, lays his hands on him, the man can now see, even though it is in a distorted form. The man who saw Bupkis a minute ago now can see light and color and forms and shapes. Maybe for the first time, maybe in just a long time. That in itself is incredible, right? Like, He was completely blind, and now he has some sort of vision. But many times, we would take that and say, well, God, why didn't you heal him completely? We would begin to grumble, and we'd complain and say, well, God didn't do what I needed him to do. More on that later. But if we step back, and we look, think about what has transpired. God did a miraculous thing just in that. Just at this point in this man's story. Although he sees things in a distorted way. Although things are not fully clear. He can now at least see. He might even be able to function better in life now with partial sight. Maybe he's got some distorted eyesight. But he can make out things which could help him along the way. He went from completely blind to now having partial vision. And I wonder if this just continued to increase this man's faith. Remember, this man probably had no hope of being healed or ever seeing again. And now he's seeing. He might be wondering, all right, you got my attention. You spat in my eyes. But now I'm locked in on you, Jesus. I can see you. You look like a tree that might be walking, but I can see you. And I just want you to restore my sight completely because now I believe that you can, that you can do something. And with that increased faith, I see that Jesus just lays his hands on the man's eyes 
and brings the healing to completion. With this final touch, Jesus restores the man's sight completely. He puts the final bow on the entire encounter, right? Like, here's the full gift. I'm putting the bow on it. It's ready to go. And the man opens his eyes, and he can see everything clearly, right? It's like, I can see clearly now. The rain is gone, right? It's that type of idea. Now all of his obstacles that he would bump into, he can at least see them clearly. Gone are all the dark clouds that kept him blind. He can see again, and he can return home changed forever. So I want to return to a question that I posed earlier. Why do we have this story of a blind man where it takes Jesus a second step to bring about a complete healing? And maybe to take it a step further, why did Jesus even take this approach with this man? Well, I think that this encounter reveals or maybe even just reminds us of what I'll say three interrelated principles as we walk through our own journeys even today. First, we see that God, here in the person of Jesus, is creative. Think about that. Of all Jesus' miracles recorded in the Gospels, this is the only gradual one. It's the only one where there's a progressive healing recorded. All of the other miracles were one-step processes, essentially. Jesus just spoke, and it happened. Be healed. Receive your sight. Peace be still. Jesus sometimes would just touch a person and, and, and speak the healing over him. But God, the creator of the universe, the creator of the land and the seas and all that is in them, this same God will be creative in his interactions with us. Jesus did not heal or deliver by following a specific formula or a specific routine. We see here that he varies his approach as he sees fit. He will not be bound by a specific method. He's not going to be put in a box, right? In our humanity, we try to categorize things and we try to find the pattern or the common method. And often, we then project that onto God as well. We try to say, well, this is how God works. And maybe we say, if I say three Hail Marys, or if I serve in ministry Z, or if I follow this six-step approach, this pattern, then Jesus will do what I want him to do. Well, I need to remind you today that God is not like Aladdin's genie in a bottle. We don't just get to rub the lamp and poof, there's your miracle. He's not in a box that we just get to open and it's like miracle in a box. God is very creative, and he's going to display his creativity and his power in magnificent and diverse ways, ways that are going to speak and touch you. And this leads us to a second principle for us to remember. God is sovereign. God is above all things, and he governs all things. He sees all things, he knows all things, and he can do all things. And with that in mind, we can know that he can handle any situation that we face. Any single one of us, he can face and handle our situations. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And although we may not understand his ways or his thoughts about how things should be done, our almighty God, who sits on the throne, knows exactly what he is doing. 
He may bring about healing or salvation in mysterious ways. Ways that are difficult, perhaps even impossible for us to comprehend and wrap our minds around. And throughout the Bible, we are reminded of this truth that God is sovereign and almighty and that we may not understand all of his ways. In Romans 11.33, Paul writes, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And in Ephesians 3.20, Paul praises God because he is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. Like, we can't even begin to conceive all that he could do. But God knows he is sovereign and he is creative in all that he does. Even in the Old Testament, in Psalm 145, verse 3, David exalts the Lord and says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. These are just a few of the many scriptures that point to the great power and strength, the great wisdom and authority of our God. We can't even comprehend all that he can do, but we can trust that he knows what he is doing. And around here, we sing the song Waymaker from time to time. And as I was preparing this, I just think that it expresses this idea that God is sovereign and in control. We sing, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. We may not be able to see or sense or understand what God is doing, but he is working And he is in control of our situation. And that's something for us to remember every single day. And because God is sovereign, and because he is creative, we find a third thing for us to remember. And this is where it kind of comes home for us. That God tailors his touch to the individual. We know that God can do anything, and we know that God will do his work in creative ways. And when he looks at us, he sees us as his unique creation. He has formed us. He has molded us. He has wired us. He's engineered us in a very specific way. He knows every single component of our lives, what makes us tick, what ticks us off, the things that we can do. And you need to know that you are, in his eyes, an individual work of art. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are his masterpiece or you are his workmanship. You are not a photocopy. You are not a reprint of something else. You are unique, and you've been created with wonderful attributes, maybe some crazy textures, and some beautiful qualities. He's put emotions and thoughts and feelings in you that you experience and no one else does. As such, God's process for each one of us is individualized. It's personal and unique. Earlier we saw that the blind man may have come with no real thought that he would get healed. His friends brought him to Jesus, but he didn't expect anything. In encountering the blind man, Jesus perceived this, and he decided to work with the man where he was at. He could have just spoken the word, receive your sight. He could have sent him on his way. The man would have been healed. But Jesus saw something unique And he wanted to minister to this man beyond a simple healing. Jesus saw this man needed his faith to be restored and built as well. 
And so he took the man and dealt with him as a unique individual, a person of value. That blind man was a person of value, and you are a person of value as well. Each one of us is. God sees us as unique. And so Jesus worked with this man where he was at, and he began to minister to him. He took the blind man to a spot where he could get his attention, outside of the village, outside of the clamoring crowds. And then Jesus began to do some things to stir up faith and hope within the man, to spark something within the man's soul. And I believe that God is wanting to do the same for each of us. He tailors his touch. He tailors his healing, his deliverance, his provision to you and I as individuals because he sees you exactly where you are. He sees you right now as you sit on your couch or at your kitchen table or in your cabin. He sees the situation you are in, the one that is weighing you down or the one that is bringing you great joy. And he wants to meet you in that situation. And he may be using that situation to try to do something in your very soul. And this is what I want us to think about in our closing time together, that God may be trying to do something in your soul. A few weeks ago on Mother's Day, Pastor Mark and Suzanne spoke about Madame Guyon. And one of the things that they mentioned was that God sometimes hides himself or he uses situations to rouse us to pursue him. That we can have dry times that God may use in order to create a hunger and a thirst, a desire for him, a desire to meet with him, a desire to come to him. And as it relates to the trials and predicaments and issues that we face, perhaps we should start to ask ourselves this question. Could God be using this situation to stir and create thirst in me? Could God be wanting to stir up a desire in me for him? In the struggle that you're facing, perhaps God is trying to help you grow your faith. Maybe he's trying to use this to see where you'll go with it and if you'll come and draw near to him. So whether you start with zero faith, like the blind man was, he had zippo idea that God would even consider healing him. Or maybe you have mediocre faith, like the man was when he could see a little, but still wasn't completely clear. Like, I believe, but I've got some questions, or even I've got some doubts. Maybe God is wooing you to allow your faith to grow and draw nearer to him. Think about that. Maybe God is wooing you to, to come to him. In, he's inviting you to invite him to enter into that situation. God takes us where we are, and he works in us to move us to that next step, whatever that might be. He knows the need you have. He sees the hurt you carry or the physical ailment that you are enduring, and he could take care of that with a single word or a snap of his fingers. But in his sovereignty and in his creativity, he may decide to do something different. Because he loves you so much, more than you can even comprehend, he wants to engage with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk through life with you. And he may delay the full miracle to allow time for your thirst for him to grow. Like he's stirring that up just a little bit to see if you'll, if you'll go after him. He's more concerned with your soul. And so he may use a personalized approach to create thirst in you 
for more of him. Rather than simply seeking the answer to your problem, he's calling you to seek him. He's calling you to seek the one who has the answer. He's calling you to trust him with all your heart. He's calling you to be strong in him and in the power of his spirit rather than in your own strength. He's calling you to set your mind and your gaze on him rather than all the problems and issues that you're facing. He is chomping at the bit for you to invite him to be with you, for you to invite him into your situation. He desires to be with you in your daily life and all of your situations, your thoughts, and your feelings. And you have that opportunity to simply invite him into it. So my encouragement to you today is to invite him into your situation, wherever you are in your journey. Whether you've walked with Jesus for minutes, or months, or decades, you can invite him where you are at, and he will meet you there. You can seek him as you work through your situation, the frustrations, the joys, the hurts, the relief, the whatever. And he will touch you and walk with you on the next step. And I find for myself that I do this often, where sometimes I'll get into that situation where I'm just irritated. I don't even know why, but maybe I've just got this growing frustration and sense, and I just have to sit, and I have to say, God, I don't even know why I'm ticked. I don't even know why I'm irritated or frustrated, but can you help me? Can you just enter into the situation, and may I just sit with you for a little while? And I find that he gently comes in and he'll either point out things that I've done wrong or he just brings peace and comfort in that situation. And you too can do that right where you are at, in your family room. Again, it can be your kitchen or your cabin or your camper or uh, wherever you might be. You just have to say something like, Jesus, I need you. I want you to be with me now as I walk through this situation. Help me with this because I'm feeling, and you can fill in the blank, I just want to experience you. You may even express that you feel inadequate or have doubts, but know this, he will meet you there. Just as he did with the blind man at Bethsaida, and he led him by the hand, he will do the same for you. And there's something that I've learned kind of through this spiritual transformation and, and, and spiritual direction process that I've been on, that it's, it's called a prayer of movement. And as we close today, I just want us to do that. Because I think whatever situation you are finding yourself in, you can invite him into that. And so will you just join with me as we, as we close in prayer and just invite him in? And as we do that, I just want you to think, what do you need to invite him into today? So wherever you are at, would you just stretch out your hands, palm up in front of you, and just acknowledge what that situation is? Just say, Jesus, this is the situation that I'm in right now. And again, there's no magic to these words. You just speak to him in your own way. Acknowledge, this is what I'm going through. This is the good, the bad, the ugly. This is what I'm feeling. And we can just acknowledge that before the Lord and say, God, this is where I'm at. And as we do that, we can then take a step and often we'll just lift up our hands and invite him into that. And we'll say, that is the situation that I'm in and Lord, I want you 
to be a part of this. I want you to come in and do what only you can do. I want you to work in me that which needs to be worked out. And Lord, I ask that you would fix this. And then a final step is that we just release it then unto him and say, God, I just give it into your hands. And so Lord, for each person who has done this, I just pray for your hand to be in each of those situations. We know that you are creative. We know that you are sovereign and that you tailor your approach for each of us as individuals. And we ask that you would enter into each of these situations that have been brought before you and that you would do what only you can do. We thank you, God, that you are almighty. We thank you that you are powerful, that you see all things, you know all things, and you can do all things. And so we just release all of these things into your hands. Have your way, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Portview family, it has been a privilege again to just be with you today. We miss seeing you. We wish that you were here with us today. And we just pray that God will bless you and keep you in all that you do. We will see you soon. God bless.